Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Ralph, how are you, bud? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I was just, uh, well, I would say enjoying, but I was certainly under the spell of the elevator music there. Um, so if you if you tapped in and heard me <laughs> doing weird Tom Waits impersonations or anything to pass the time. Uh, <laughs> no, oh, I, I missed it. You didn't, you didn't record it? I missed it. I, I recorded the whole thing. I can send you the clip, but I was like, this music just makes uh, me want to do my best sort of Tom Waits as a weather forecast announcer. Like, well, uh, the weather in Cincinnati right. today is cloudy yeah. with a high chance of rain. <laughs> uh, Ralph, congratulations, my <laughs> friend. You. I'm talking to you on release day. Oh, and thank you. I know what those days are like. I've spent lockdown writing a book. So my release day for that is imminent. It's not here yet, but I can only imagine the feeling of elation and release and accomplishment and, and all of those things together. Um, before we get into the film, obviously, you know, you've been involved in the Tony Hawk video game franchise since day dot really you were there from you know the very birth of the franchise you saw it grow from the ground level up so i wonder if we could backtrack first to around 99 or perhaps even a little bit before that um and talk about your involvement in in this game the first one how it all came about to begin with from your side of things yeah well i mean i i just sort of i sort of lucked into it i um you know when i was when I was going to school, when I was going to college, like being a video game producer wasn't a thing. It wasn't a career path there. At that time, video games were developed by a single programmer and maybe a couple of programmers. And so you really didn't need a production staff or, or person at all. So, um, yeah, but I've always been a huge fan of video games. I, I spent plenty of quarters in the arcades um, playing all the different arcade games and then had a PC through college and played tons of PC games. And, you know, I've always been a big fan. And um, through a friend, I happen to know the, the owner of Neversoft. And, you know, we communicated quite a few times and we went on there were a couple camping trips and, and uh, wakeboarding, water skiing trips that we went on and, and uh, you know, just talked to him about his video game com company and he knew how interested I was. At the time, I was, I was a sales executive. I was selling tech sales so right he knew i was interested in in video games and um he got a call he, i got a call out of the blue from him and he had a couple different uh different projects that he was getting sent over from activision one was a pretty big licensed project and that was the marvel spider-man game and the other was um 
what I was told was a smaller skateboard project. And so I, um, you know, I went in, I interviewed, and I think one of the things that kind of got me the position there was I, uh, I was tech savvy, so I could build computers, I could run computer networks, I could, you know, run mail servers and all that back before you just hopped on the Gmail, um, you know, you had to run your own mail server. <laughs> and so I could do all this stuff. So it was something I think that Nick West, the lead, uh, the lead uh, programmer, he could sort of, and also partner in Neversoft, he could offload that onto me. Um, and so I got the position. And uh, and since they're, you know, they have two big games, the one was a big license game, and I got to be on the smaller skateboarding game. And, uh, and that became the Tony Hawk video game series. So I was kind of dropped in the series with, with very little to no experience. I, you know, I knew a ton from a user perspective, but I, um, I had no knowledge from a development perspective. So I was learning as I go and just trying to help the team as much as I could to, to make the game and, and hit our deadlines and, and make a fun game. Well, what a game to start off on. I mean, that is, that's, you couldn't have asked yeah, yeah. for a better, yeah. you know, a, a better hand in the, in the career that you've, you know, chosen. That's kind of the, the ultimate, you know, leg up, isn't it? Obviously, you know, right time, right place. And I guess you had no idea that that game was going to go on to be this, you know, extremely successful franchise, which not only changed gaming, but, you know, pop culture and the sport of skateboarding. And the world, didn't it, on so many levels? Yeah, yeah, and I, I you know, I really didn't. I, I was happy to go on the skateboarding game because it was something that I kind of knew. I knew Tony Hawk, I knew Steve Caballero, I knew Christian. So I knew the names. I knew, you know, watched videos. I was a fan of skateboarding. I, I did a little skating as a kid, but not much more than just an alternate form of transportation when I didn't want to bring my bike somewhere. So I was plenty happy to, to work on a skateboarding game. I was I was actually really stoked because one of my favorite skate one of my favorite video games as a kid in the arcade was 720. I played a ton of 720. So I was I was elated when I found out that I was going to be on. Plus the fact that it was sort of it wasn't a big licensed project. The bar was set kind of low, so I could learn. And as I as I went along, although <laughs> I learned pretty quick that you know I was I was way above my my shoulders and in, in not not knowing enough. Uh, so it was it was a real big learning learning experience the, the first uh, couple of years for sure. It was amazing to learn from the film just how hands-on and involved Tony Hawk was from the start as well because when you see somebody's name attached to a project like that you think yeah they're the face of it they're going to do all the marketing and their personality is going to be across it but the level in which he really you know he, he took his gloves off and stuck his hands in and got dirty didn't he and he got involved with the playing of the game and the technical side like I didn't realize the absolute depth that he went to when it came to you know really lending his expertise to the overall feel and play of the of the entire game series yeah yeah for sure i mean he definitely provided a ton of, of great feedback you know you have to understand back then 99 um youtube wasn't nearly as developed as it is now where you could just type a skateboard trick and every you'll get like 50 different variations of that skateboard trick that didn't exist so if we wanted to know what like a backside lip slide looked like, you know, we we saw things on video, and some of us had a little bit of knowledge of, of some tricks. Um, but you know, in order to be a hundred percent on some of these things, we would you know cut little video clips, and I'd email them to Tony, and Tony would email him back, or even better yet, sometimes he would he would just well, we would email him tricks that we wanted um, reference footage for our our animators, and he would you know go out with his filmer and he'd film them at multiple angles for us and we'd get we'd get video footage from from him you know and then on top of it sending him the builds every week and just getting feedback from from him and and at the beginning and jamie thomas was giving us a, quite a bit of feedback too um you know that was awesome it was invaluable to, to kind of keep us in line with the skate culture and and, you know, we made mistakes along the way for sure, but, you know, we tried our best to, to keep as, as, as close to skate as, as possible and give kids a, a lesson in, in skateboard as well as have a fun video game experience. 
Well, it was cool because I noticed he he would don the the kind of the the lycra suit with the balls all over it that you see that actor Andy Serkis wear yeah. for for Gollum in Lord of the Rings, and you know I guess that was very early on in that yeah. kind of technology, and he's there in the full suit doing it, and he was attempting you know some of his most difficult tricks. So you had those reference points, and he says in the film like he got he got beat up quite a lot because he's obviously not wearing pads or protection or stuff. Like again, I mean. Everything you see, see, sorry, and hear and read about Tony Hawk, really, you know, it all feeds into this same idea of the kind of guy that he is, which is just this really humble, hardworking, down-to-earth, passionate, like, on-the-level guy. And he comes across like that in the documentary as well. Obviously, you've got almost more experience of working with him than anybody else. Is that exactly what, you know, he's like as a guy? Just hands-on, all-in, great yeah. to work with, loves what he does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And very, I mean, very humble, um, you know, no big ego, none of that. But, you know, he also is very competitive and wants to put out the best of whatever it is that he's doing, whether it be a video game or a skate deck. You know, he's, he's always looking for the, the top notch, top quality, just like he did in his career in skateboarding. He was always trying to get that number one spot. So, He's, um, you know, he's perhaps one of the best bosses I've ever had. I got to, after Neversoft, I got to work for, for him uh, for four years. And it was, you know, it was an absolute pleasure. So, but, you know, his drive is, and his motivation to keep on progressing. And even to this day with, with skateboarding, he's still learning. If you follow his Instagram and, or his uh, Twitter, he's still learning new tricks to this day. And, and it's in his own personal life, he's still doing new things with business and with skateboarding and skateboarding companies that that are kind of breaking boundaries in skateboarding. So, yeah, he's a, he's an incredible person for sure. You get into the history of, you know, gaming and skate gaming and extreme sports gaming, but you also cover a lot of ground when it comes to the history and the culture just around skateboarding, the lifestyle the craft and I love that you you get into it in that level was that always the intention with developing this film is you didn't just want to come in out of the gate and you know everybody's already got the backstory sussed and you go straight into the game was it important for you and the director to lay the seeds and tell you know I guess the average non-skate expert as it were that you know this is the history of that sport this was kind of what had happened in the lead up to the release of the game and here's where that sport was at when the game came out. That was, that definitely wasn't in wasn't in the first draft of of our script, quote unquote script, and it probably wasn't even in the second draft. And and uh, the director Ludwig Gur and I, we we sort of butted heads on this at the beginning, and I'm I'm super super glad that we went with his way, um, you know, in the end. Uh, and and it's best for it's a good lesson for I think a lot of producers to listen to your to your directors when it comes to creative direction. Um, so yeah, that had a lot to do with his. Um, his idea. I, I, I had initially wanted more of the focus to be on, you know, just more video game, video game, video game. But it was really his his um, weaving of the story that that once I saw it and once I you know started listening and, and understanding, I was like, okay, yeah, that's definitely the best way to do it. You have to give people the average Joe, the average user that may not know anything about skateboarding or the video games, they can still kind of catch in and, and, you know, and lock in and, and start getting a little history lesson for the beginning. And it kind of drags you through the rest of the story. So it's not just an intimate, you know, detailed video gameography that just the hardcore video game fans will enjoy. It's something I think we capture a bunch of elements for that group. But then we also, we, we do some things and some of the history that, that you, where you get brought through that, you know, just your average person that enjoys documentaries is going to enjoy watching the film and, and that story is, is living yeah it walks a lot of different lines and it does it well and it does it in a way that you know makes sense and it's digestible and i don't really know much about the history of gaming and so to have you know be introduced to characters like walter day for me that was really fascinating and to hear about him he's kind of titled the uh, the father of competitive gaming right and he, he talks a lot about the game you mentioned a moment ago 720 and how that was really the only game that had preceded tony hawks in terms of you know skateboarding in the computer game world and so you've got that then you've got the skate history you've obviously got the personal history i mean what was it like for you as somebody who had you know 
a little bit of a kind of background in all of it. You're obviously right out the gate. This is your first big job. What was it like for you developing that first game? What are the memories that come back to mind of, you know, the, the moods in the company and, and, you know, I guess the more, the more broad reaction on a popular cultural level when the game came out, like what memories for you really stand out all these years later from the first pro skater game and, you know, the world's response to it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we were pretty heads down working on the game um, without much exposure to, to much, you know, of the outside world for the majority of the time. So there wasn't, there wasn't, while we're developing the game, there wasn't this thing in the, in the team where, oh, this is going to be a big hit or, oh, wow, we've got this big, you know, sensation that's going to, you know, shake up skateboard. There was none of that. It was, it was really just, Hey, let's, hopefully we can, we can make a game that is fun enough for, for people that, you know, they'll, they'll buy enough of it that we can get either another, you know, another version of the game or potentially that was sort of like the big, or at least, you know, Activision might give us some more work so that we can, we can all stay on and keep working. It yeah, wasn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't like this big, oh yeah, hey, let's, let's plan. So we started getting the idea a little bit internally that, you know, that we had something fun on our hands when, when we would bring in our focus testers. You know, we just got, you probably couldn't do this today in today's environment here, but we got this kids, you know, we put up a poster at, at junior highs and elementary schools. Hey, do you want to test the skateboard video game? Call this phone number. And, you know, you rip the phone number off on the bottom. And uh, we brought kids in, and we were just not getting very much in the way of negative reviews from these kids. We were getting a lot, just tons of, you know, over-the-top glaring, oh, this is so fun, we're having such a great time. So um, that kind of gave us a little bit of a hint, but then I think the real big indicator was when uh, the demo disc, the Pizza Hut and the Jam Pack demo disc came out, and, and people were just, clamoring for the that disc and that disc sold a bunch you know that year it was like a higher higher seller than most video games and it was that was sort of like when it was like okay i think we we really have something here now just gotta package it up finish it off make a game out of it and uh and ship it but we still really had no idea until some of the early sales numbers came out and that's when <laughs> that's when we were pretty happy and we were pretty secure that we would be making an- at least be making another video game. Were you aware <laughs> of the Vans Warp Tour and, and the success of the combination of punk rock and alternative culture and skate culture with the Vans involvement in that? Were you aware of this broader thing going on in the 90s, especially towards that mid to tail end of the decade when punk rock and skateboarding were really fusing together and beginning to become the mainstream and take over youth culture. Were you aware of all that going on? And did you sort of look at the game you were making and think, oh, this is going to slot right in there? Because obviously the music was such a huge part of that series as well. Like, what was your connection to that side of it, to punk rock? Were you coming from a, a place yeah. of fandom as an appreciator of the bands that were in the soundtrack? And who, who was the guy that really sort of curated those, those soundtracks throughout the games? So, okay, a couple of answers. And the, 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 I have been a fan of, of different punk bands for quite a long time. You know, Bad Religion, uh, Goldfinger, uh, Primus. I mean, a lot of these bands are bands that I've listened to before the video game. But I wasn't as tied into the skate culture to kind of tie in, oh, well, if we do this element and we put this element together and we add the punk rock element, that we're going to have this masterpiece on our hand. I don't think anybody was. I think it was just, hey, this is the, the, this is the, the theme of game that we have. This is the look and feel of it. It needs to have this, you know, underground sort of L.A., uh, Southern California punk rock feel um and so the music just kind of came along with it initially um and that's sort of the the initial roots of skateboarding too it sort of came grew out of the this the punk you know surf or skate um culture so of course yeah. that kind of goes hand in hand um yeah so i mean you have to represent it and i think we represented it really well in the first game and continued but as skateboarding skateboarding increased in popularity obviously there are different groups of people that started picking up and, and liking skateboarding and they're liking different kinds of, of genres of music so you got to branch out of just punk and rock um 
and we, you know, then we drifted into to hip hop and rap and then even electronic music. And I mean, it just uh, an assortment of different kinds of, of music that, that kids then eventually listened to. How, how the music was, was curated was, I mean, it got to a point where there was a few of us, about five or six of us that were on the, the music soundtrack team, quote unquote. And we would basically sit around and listen to CDs. Again, there was no Spotify. There was no, you couldn't just put a song into YouTube and, and find any song you wanted to. So we, people would give, give me CDs. I'd rip the CDs. We'd sit around and listen to MP3s and, and make a list of, you know, what we thought would fit the, 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 the soundtrack. And there were, there were a couple guys that more to hip hop or a couple guys that like, Myself and, and Chris Rouse are more into the punk stuff. Joel, uh, the president, was more into, you know, classic rock and rock stuff. Um, you know, different guys were into different kinds of music, and, and they would bring those to the table, and we'd listen to them, and we would start making, you know, start making a spreadsheet of kind of what our wish list is. And it always started from what we didn't get to put in the previous game, so we had something that we, we started with. And then that, that spreadsheet, where I would sit down with a um, music supervisor at Activision, his name was Tim. I'd sit down with him on the phone, and we'd just go through all the songs, and he would reach out to all the different bands and the labels and find out what the costs were, and we'd I'd, you know, weigh the costs against our budget, and that's how we became, that became our soundtrack. You know, we tried to represent each genre of music, music somewhat, you know, probably still always a little heavy on and punk and that that area because that's the roots of skateboarding but we try to represent um the other genres as best we can and you know the, the soundtrack was something that kept expanding and expanding the last i think the last game i worked on project eight it was about a half a million dollar budget for the soundtrack alone so it was it was a pretty decent sized budget and then on top of it we you know we added in a sprinkled in a nice assortment of indie bands that were free you know we didn't have to pay for yeah, you got one of your you got your bands in one of the games, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Got to be yeah. done. Dead in, End Road, the song Sin City, two. right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm the bass player for that band. Yeah, Dead End Road, and it's kind of funny. It, it shows. It just shows you, like, to this day, we still get a decent. We get a number of of plays on Spotify. I mean, it's like twenty, thirty thousand plays on Spotify a month, just because we're wrapped up in the Tony Hawk playlist. You know, we're just a no-name, you know, indie Southern California band, and we get those kind of plays on Spotify alone, just because we get we get pulled into a lot of the Tony Hawk music playlist. Well, it was such a cultural moment. Those first two games, in particular, I was never a big gamer, so I didn't follow the series closely. But I played the first two games a lot because yeah. I was big into punk rock, big into Scar, and you know, big into skateboarding. I wasn't necessarily good at skating, but I was very entrenched in that culture. And that yeah. game was just such a mainstay. For and sure. it's amazing to see, like I've toured with Goldfinger a lot, and John Feldman's a good friend of mine, and he's told me in the past about literally like night and day you could compare before that game came out and then afterwards, like especially in the UK when they came over here, and he said that you know they'd play that song, the whole crowd would just completely lose it and he was like oh wow like nothing's ever going to be the same again and it's just and it, the memories that are attached to that game and certain songs like the Millencolin track No Cigar as well there's just a few songs from that yeah. that soundtrack series that you can't hear and I'm sure you know you've heard this loads over the years and it's obviously in the documentary as well with Feldy talking about it but you can't really hear these songs without thinking about that game even now all these years later and that's just that's such a rare thing isn't it such a special thing yeah yeah and i think i you know what i kind of attribute it to is you know when you're video gaming generally you're you're by yourself and similarly when you're listening to music a lot of times you're by yourself but the one thing you're with video gaming you're doing something interactive and you're having this this full experience and the music is part of that full experience so then when you think of that song and it wasn't an unlimited soundtrack, let's be honest. It had only so many songs. So they'd re if you played the game enough hours, 
you were hearing the soundtrack over and over and over again. Well, well that, that the was the beauty one, of you know, the 90s, wasn't it, Ralph? The beauty of the 90s was there wasn't iPods, yeah. there wasn't Spotify. So you'd have your car with, say, four yeah. or five CDs, and they'd get played on repeat. And so those yeah. tracks would be embedded in your brain, wouldn't they? Yeah. And so you have like this, and if and even back then, if I, there there are certain music that I know that I went on a road trip, and if that road trip, you know, the nostalgia of it starts flooding in my mind. I think that that became even more powerful with these tracks because you're having this experience of you know this pleasurable video gaming experience while you're enjoying this music that's amplifying it. So I think it kind of enhances enhances the whole situation in people's heads a bit. Bad Religion have got a book coming out, haven't they? Are you, are you a big Bad Religion fan? I know you got Jay Bentley. Yeah, I've got it. I've got it. Uh, it should be here today. So it's, a, they're, they, it's kind of funny. The serendipity, their date and our date lined up exactly the same. So their release date is today for their book. Yeah. I am. Um, yeah, I got it. I'm, I think it's. It might be at my front door. I'm not sure. I just looked on Spotify to see what their top most played song was, and you was second. 21st Century Digital Boy was first, which you'd think, yeah, that's a given. But you, yeah, like, the only reason you is number two is because, again, of Tony Hawk, isn't it? It's got to be. Yeah, if you look at a lot of bands, unless there was some you know, major YouTube thing that happened or some major MTV YouTube thing that happened, if you look at a lot of bands on Spotify, the the if their song was on the was was in the video game that's at least that's their number one song in their entire discography or it's the number one song on that album was played because of the, how the impactful that that soundtrack playlist is so i'm telling you just our small little band makes you know 20 30 bucks a month off of spotify just on a dumb song we put in a video game back in what 2004 you know incredible and i love the way that jay talks about how when it was yeah. just him and brett at epitaph back in the day they you know get the letter from you guys which is yeah. oh we, we want to use your track to put in this game brett's like i don't know what that is but yeah let's yeah. do it <laughs> imagine if they'd <laughs> yeah, said no kind of some of the easiest yeah i know that, that was kind of, and you know there there were there were bands that, that did say no punk punk was a bit easier it was the easiest of all the music genres to clear um not not only from just the, the ease of just getting the paperwork done, but from a monetary perspective as well, it, it was always the cheapest to, to get for, for different tracks. Um, whereas hip hop was always on the on the higher end. Um, it just it, it, it kind of flowed suit with with sort of the the mentality of punk rock versus hip hop. I have two questions for you. You don't have to answer them if you don't want. The first yes. one was going to be who did Shoot. who did turn down the offer. And then the second was going to be who was the most expensive song by? Like, who was the, you know, this is how much we want. And you're like, well, the song's pretty good. We're going to pay it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't tell you. I wasn't, I can tell you we had plenty of hip-hop artists that we that we didn't end up going with. I can't tell you who they are. It wasn't my, that genre. I mean, I like some of the old school stuff, like, you know, Run DMC and, Snoop and Ice Cube and, and NWA and I like some of that old the old stuff but I, I can't tell you nine you know mid ninety or late nineties early two thousands hip hop who, who some of these some of the guys were but there were there were people that that turned turned that you know the money it just didn't work out it was just way too expensive whatever um, and who even knows if the band knew at that point sometimes when you're dealing with the label you you never know if it's if it's even the band, you know, the band might have been more than happy to give you the track for free, but the label wants to stick it to you. So you never know who it, who it is. Um, but yeah, I, I think one of the most expensive tracks, I it was probably the, um, the ACDC track, the Aces, uh, yeah, the ACDC track back in, uh, back, wait, was it back in black? Uh, was it TNT? I, I want to say it. TNT. Or TNT, yeah. Sorry, TNT, not Back in Black. TNT, yeah. That track was probably one of the most expensive tracks that we that we ever purchased. I can't, off the top of my head, I can't tell you. I could look. I could. I probably still have some of the old tracking spreadsheets. I could go back and, and look through, <laughs> and, or try to find and and uh, and give you and, and give you an answer back. I, but I know they were they were fairly expensive. Um, and the Johnny Cash track was was a bit on the on the high side, but. Um, 
how legendary to have Johnny Cash in there as well. Like that's, you know, that's a left field choice. Obviously, he's synonymous with punk rock, not least because of the social distortion cover. But, you know, to put kind of old school artists like that in there as well, I imagine a lot of people would have discovered people like ACDC and Johnny Cash through the game as well. Like you're finding out about these iconic, timeless artists through a skateboard game. Again, what a beautiful position to be in, to be able to introduce kids to like these legends of eras gone by. Yeah, I mean, talk about an eclectic soundtrack when you have everything from the Dead Kennedys to uh, Johnny Cash and Frank Sinatra, you know? (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) It's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Was there any was there any games before Tony Hawk that used original music as part of the soundtrack? Because I can't remember any before. I'm sure there were. And then the only game series for me which followed that did it on a similar level was the Grand Theft Auto games. Like for me, they're the two franchises that really stand out. Tony Hawk and GTA as just doing it in such a classy way that again gives these songs a whole new, you know, lease of life. Yeah, there were, I mean, there were a few, um, I think, you know, arcade game, I, I think there were ta- crazy taxi had, had a, had a, um, had a soundtrack, I believe. Um, it, uh, there, there was street skater, which was another skate game that came out, I think even a little bit before the Hawk franchise, they had, um, a soundtrack, but not, I think it, it, they were sprinkled, they sprinkled some, um, uh, you know, more popular tracks in with, with, I think maybe even electronic music that they created as well. Um, so yeah, there were a few that, that, that had come around. We were definitely not the, the first to do a soundtrack. I think we're the first where the soundtrack became sort of this integral part and something that people were waiting on for the next game. And, and you know, what's the soundtrack? When are they going to release the soundtrack? That became a big thing. Like, you know, what's the next soundtrack going to be? And when are they going to, announce the next soundtrack um i don't think there were many other games that that had quite that sort of um push or pull through their their fan base for for soundtracks and all well that's obviously something which continues to this day as well because they've obviously you know sort of rebooted the first two games and they've rebooted those soundtracks as well and it's still a point of much you know, enthusiastic discussion. I see all the music websites that I follow, Kerrang, Enemy, all these publications over here in the UK. They've been writing about it in the lead up to the release of these games. And it's still like a very coveted spot. And a lot of bands that I know who are in the new one, like I know bands who are in the original, I know bands that are in the new, and they're still like, you feel pride and excitement to be attached to that franchise, which again, you know, all these years later, that's such a testament to the legacy of those games that people still like, that's a coveted spot that they're stoked to be in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's always good to hear, you know, having worked on it, it's always good to hear um, that, that people are so stoked on and it had such a big impact. And that's really one of the biggest reasons why, you know, we made the decision early on that if we're going to do a Tony Hawk video game documentary, we have to have, you know, a handful of the just the epitome, the tracks that are just the epitome of Tony Hawk video games. And and we did whatever we could to, to make that happen, to, to fill the film up with as many <clears throat> kind of iconic tracks that, that bring back that nostalgia. Because again, when you get hit with that and you see the video game footage, it, it, it brings you right back to that, that feeling you had as a kid in your room or, you know, whatever it was playing with your friends and it's uh that's kind of what how we wanted to capture it and we think that the music that that we added helped quite a bit too well you've got the beautiful acoustic rendition of the Lagwagon song over the closing credits as well was that something joey cape had already recorded or did he do that specifically for the film it's a lovely rendition yeah it is and you know it's i uh there's a there was sort of a, a last minute change on that track, and we we went with uh, after we had gotten the word that that Goldfinger did the Superman track, they, they redid the, the Superman track, and then <clears throat> Mike had redone the the acoustic version of the Superman track. We we swapped that that track out with the the super. Not that I mean that I love that lag. Why that's one of my most favorite. I just actually ran into him at a at a concert it was a couple of years ago here in in um 
where was it? It's either Dana Point or Huntington Beach, and it was really cool seeing him. Um, but that track is one of my favorites as well. But it was just an opportunity to kind of wrap the film around and use that acoustic version of Superman. I don't know if you've heard it, but it's it's pretty amazing as well. I haven't. So the version of the film that I must have seen must be the the kind of pre-final cut where the Lagwagon song is still in yeah. there. But I, I've toured with Goldfinger and I've spent yeah, yeah. many, many nights watching Mike, you know, just jam on a guitar. And yeah, he's, you know, obviously MXPX, another great band. Did they have songs in the franchise as well? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. Um, if you had, if, if you had um, Ludwig, our director on, he's, um, he's like a, an encyclopedia of all this stuff. You, you tell him a song <laughs> or a band and he'll tell you the song and, and what, what, what it was in. Um, so I, I'm not the best at that. I would just, I'd probably just Google, but I would think they have, if not, I believe they just, I believe they, they just were announced that they're going to be in the new one. Yeah. Maybe that's what I saw. Maybe that's what I saw is they are going to be in the yeah. new one. Yeah, I was yeah. like, ah, oh, there's the boys. Mm-hmm. What about the yeah, cast list, yeah. Ralph, when it yeah, came it was- time to, you know, selecting yeah. the skaters for the first game. And then obviously, you know, particularly when you get to two, you've got, you know, the cab and Rodney Mullen in the mix as well. Was that Tony's wish list or was it a combination of people, you know, from, from the gaming side of it and the designing side of it, working with him or was it literally just Tony Hawk was like, these are the guys that I want. These are the guys we're going after. These are the guys that are in. It was a lot of, I mean, it was a lot of Tony's picks. Um, uh, and then some internal picks. Like I, I know I strongly, I, I probably strongly, um, trying to get cab. I, he's been a, I've been a big fan of Cavalera for, for quite some time, but I also know so is Tony. So that, you know, having Tony throw his, his weight behind cab is, is probably what happened as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the times we, we definitely would throw the ideas of who we were thinking to add to Tony, um, and, and he would bet them and, you know, then that they would get at it. So it was, it was, um, and as the game as the game progressed, we got pretty liberal with adding secret skaters here and there, different kinds of secret skaters. Um, it became fairly easy to. We we had a technology where where with just a, a photo you could kind of slap your face on somebody, so it, it became easier to to do secret skaters. But the full like unlockable characters, those were still always treasured. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's a couple of really nice moments towards the end of the film when you're talking about really the representation in the games. Uh, or more more the guests are talking about the representation, I should say. And you've obviously got Alyssa Steamer and and Kareen Campbell. And you see, you know, the kind of the new school generation of female skaters and black skaters saying how, you know, playing this game is really what showed them, oh, you know, I, I'm included in this culture too. And I'm inspired to pick up a deck and get out there and start skating as well. And that was, I wasn't really aware, 
you know of of the the importance of of representation in that series of games and and how it's obviously gone on to inspire so many young skaters that's another beautiful legacy to have attached to the project as well isn't it yeah yeah and it's you know uh it that was a little bit amplified by by tony he you know he was telling us how and my, me personally how so many people would so many you know girl skaters would come up to him and tell him that you know they they kind of were inspired by skating because of Alyssa being in the game and same with with african-american skaters with kareem and so um it was definitely a message we wanted to to get out there that that it had that big of an impact in, in those two areas. And now you see, I mean, you see some of the girl skaters skating, and it's just, it. I mean, all the the, the level of skateboarding, the bar is so high right now that all skateboarding is amazing. But it's you know, girl skaters are are doing just as the, the all the crazy stuff that the guy skaters are doing and i think that the game had an impact on opening the eyes to the girls and as well as um african-americans and just any other community that it touched um you know i know personally my my next door neighbor he was a little kid never skated i kind of gave him the games and he picked up a skateboard and started skating you know and, and know it had an impact so it's uh it's it, the impact is, is pretty wide skateboarding is going to be in the olympics if next time we have an olympics <laughs> well tony says that at the start of the film doesn't he you know he's like i wouldn't be here today my career yeah. wouldn't be where it is today were it not for this game and then the sport itself probably well definitely wouldn't be where it is today and yeah the fact that it's going to now be an olympic sport is so amazing and again you mentioned like the crazy level of of tricks and stuff that you see in skating now i love the way that the documentary really sort of says well Part of the, the the joy of playing Tony Hawk's, I think, was that it wasn't entirely realistic. You know, there's an element of fantasy to it. There's kind of quite an insane scale under which you can sort of attempt things. And that's obviously bled down into real life. And you probably had young kids playing the game and doing these tricks, which wouldn't have then been possible perhaps in real life to do inspired by you know the ambition and the, and the scope and the insanity of some of the tricks in the game then they've applied that to real life and to skating and you've seen like the ceiling be lift on the kind of stuff that's being done again perhaps as a result of the game again just an amazing inspiring side angle to the whole tony hawk saga and is that something that you've witnessed um, over the years in you know skating as a sport you've seen it progress in such a way that you think wow maybe perhaps it wouldn't have gone that way were it not for the level of tricks that you could pull off in the game yeah for, i mean for sure i i um i mean firsthand my nephew is a skater and he's he's a pretty hardcore skateboarder and he um you know he's throwing himself down rails and stairs and doing all kinds of different flip tricks and things that you know back when we were making he sends me videos of himself that when I compare it to some of the stuff I saw the pros doing back when we were making the video game, he would be pro. You know, it was just one of those, it, it, these are not tricks that not the average, not just the average Joe kid skater on the street was doing like flip trick in, grind, flip trick out back then. So, you know, and he's, again, he's not a sponsored skater. He's just, he and his friends skate in front of the house. He's really good. And I don't, I don't think that that kind of progression would have happened had it not been for a catalyst like what the video game did for kids all over the world, that they can do these unusual things on their fingers. And, you know, the first thing with in, in any kind of sport or any kind of achievement, if you see somebody else doing something, it then in your head becomes possible and you can kind of put your wrap your head around it being possible and I think that's the first step in achieving something is you have to firmly believe that you can you can do it and I think with some kids and, and some skaters they, they were able to do that with the video game they would look at how the motions in the video game how the skater was doing specific tricks or combinations and then in their head put it together that this is what my feet need to do to get there and then once somebody does it and they post it nowadays, you know, they post it on Instagram, then everybody sees it and is like, okay, that's possible. I want to take it a step further and whatever it is becomes, you know, gets even more and more difficult. So, yeah, I think the progression advanced um, a lot further with and quicker with the video game as sort of the, 
the you know the sim the tutorial at least uh, to give people and even if kids like my nephew didn't really play the video game he has the effect of the people that came before him that did that were posting things on youtube and are getting and progressing he had the effect of being impacted by them we've spoken a lot about the the impact of the game on society and the sport and culture what about from like a design or a technical point of view what are your some of what some what are some of your sorry proudest achievements when it came to that series either a specific level or a specific style of play or you know just when it came time to the actual construction of these games themselves what was a real standout moment or two for you when you're like man we nailed it there yeah i mean i just see i'm sort of an old school like i like the the newer or the older versions of the game like my my favorite version of the game is tony hawk 2 so i think uh, you know when we had sort of tested with the manual towards the end of tony hawk 1 but it just, we knew it was going to take way too much work to get it all functioning by, by the time we needed to ship the game. So, um, but luckily we were able to do two and, and then we nailed down the manual and that control, I think for me is what opened up the game completely. You know, it, it allowed you to, uh, combine different, you know, rail tricks together and, and still go and do vert tricks as well. But it, it also, it sort of, leveled the playing field i'm not a huge and i and i get hate for this but i'm not a huge fan of these of people doing yeah, 21 million point combos or whatever you know just doing <laughs> tons and tons of combos i'm i'm more of a fan of you know <clears throat> over the top skate tricks but lining up the skate line and trying to do a specific line and that kind of thing um so it was just enough to expand the combo system but not so much when like when you added the revert that you then could just go wherever you wanted, however you wanted, for as long as you wanted. So I, I took, for me, the manual, and then, you know, adding Rodney Mullen, who's, who's perhaps one of my favorites, he, uh, he's, he was an amazing guy to work with. And, and that kind of talent and, and skill to, to be able to work with somebody like that, it was, it was, it was such a great time. His parts in the Bones Brigade documentary make me cry. Like, he seems like such a deep... Yeah, me too. Sweet, yeah. Be- yeah. beautiful guy. What was it like, you know, working with him for the game, but but interviewing him as well and getting the chance to spend time with him and mm-hmm. connect with him and, and communicate with him? What's he like as a guy and what was it like for you, you know, getting to know him on that level? He's super, I mean, he's super intellectual and, and super, I mean, bright and very outgoing with him, you know, with the people that he knows and, and into, but... He's also very private and he's, he's got very weird skate hours. Like, you know, he's skating to the wee hours of the morning, three, four o'clock in the morning. He's, uh, he's, um, he was one of the first people that I contacted when I was thinking about doing the documentary. And he pretty much immediately replied that he would be down to do anything like that with for me. And, and so it was, he was one of the, again, easy guys to, to work with. It was just a matter of, when he had time and it jived with his schedule and trying to be the least impactful as possible. And, you know, we headed over to his house and spent, we, we had, we did two different interview sessions with him. Um, the first interview session, I don't think we used any footage of, from that in the final. Um, we did, we just had a much better setup in our second interview and we captured everything we needed in that one. So, but he was, um, an amazing interview, an amazing guy to, to work with, uh, through and through and and will always be one of my one of my favorite people in the world for sure he's a beautiful man i love that story that he recalls as well where he talks about being in like a rough neighborhood and he thinks he's about to get jumped by these guys that look like they're straight out of a gang and then they're like hang on you're the guy from tony hawks right and then they switch and their attitude towards him goes from like thug intimidator to you know excitable fan yeah beautiful story are there any more like yeah. that that didn't make the cut because of yeah, time or where the story was going? Are there, were there, are there any anecdotes that you really would have liked to have included, but, you know, perhaps there just wasn't room? Yeah, there are, and, and there'll be some, uh, you'll see some, we're going to drop some more uh, extra stuff on, on our social media, and we have um, some extras on iTunes, and I know when we do it, when we eventually do a DVD or Blu-ray release, we'll, we'll have some extras put on there as well. But, you know, it, it's, it's, as much footage as we have, it's hard to, to when you come up with the final cut, it's kind of difficult to, to go, oh, you know, we should have had this or that. You could have, 
if you do that, you'll never finish the film. Of course. <laughs> so you have to kind of draw the line at some point. And, and I think we did, uh, we did the best we, 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 we got, you know, and, and I'm, I'm glad that a lot of people are enjoying it. And, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of, it's kind of great that it's finally out there. Well, it's a first, first time film for yourself as producer and the director as well, right? So how was the experience of transitioning into feature length filmmaking for the pair of you? Obviously, you can't speak entirely for him. But from your point of view, how was it donning the, the film yeah. produ- producer hat and getting stuck into this project? Yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, I've been a producer of many different things for a, a quite a long time from video games and I drifted into apps and websites and smaller video games and things, but, uh, and, and a lot of video content. Um, but this was the first time with, with this and, you know, we made a lot of different mistakes. You, you learn from your mistakes and become a lot more knowledgeable. Um, but you know, everything that we went through, we just kind of dug in and, and kept every, always kept the, the ball moving forward. I think a lot of times people get run up against different challenges and, and stop and you know stall but that's that's not what we did and we just kind of any of the new things that we came up against Ludwig had a little bit of experience he's he's done a couple he did a a couple shorts um before he 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 got a actually got an award for one of his shorts at the Swedish film festival so he had a a tad bit of experience um uh, but not anything, you know, substantial. So it was a, it was a new world for us. We, we did along the way meet a lot of really good people that, that helped us out. Um, the folks that we, that we, that we worked with at the Mammoth Film Festival where we won a couple of awards. They were awesome. Tanner and, and his crew up at, at Mammoth Film Festival and then meeting up with, um, Tara and Joe at, at Wood Entertainment, our distributors, that was another really huge thing that came out of Mammoth. Um, just been great people to work with and really helped us in, in becoming, you know, from from real in, indie indie newb- newbies, complete newbies to, you know, setting us in the right direction for sure. <laughs> well, you won Best Documentary Award, didn't you? Which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. We were stoked on that for sure. And you should be incredibly proud. I mean, for the story alone, like, you know, it's always going to be a good documentary. But the way that you've, as I said earlier on, managed to, you know, walk the line of the various different subplots and tie it all together and always keep the emotion and the pace. And it's a really well executed film. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've seen it twice. And, you know, I, I enjoyed it even more the second time. Oh, excellent. And Appreciate it. it just brought back so much good feelings and nostalgia. I bet you must be gutted because of COVID. Obviously, COVID has hindered many things. But this would have been like the ultimate premiere, wouldn't it? Of all the skaters, all the bands, like what a beautiful release party you could have had. And I I guess that's something that you haven't, yeah. you haven't been able to do. No, we actually had a theatrical, like one night only that was going to be planned. And we were looking at having, you know, one of the, and I, I don't even want to go into so many of the details. It is gutting, but, but it's, um, you know, we're, we're looking at having a band do some, some live music before the theater and then doing a live QA at the, after the, you know, after the showing and all that good stuff. But yeah, COVID kind of takes, <laughs> for not a better turn kicked us in the nuts <laughs> what are you going to do I mean many other people have, have been worse off we, at least I, I've had some family been been very impacted but it's not you know direct family and, and friends um, not so much uh, you know aside from just all the craziness that we've had to go through um, but yeah it's, it's the reality of the world we live in you know we will do something once, once this kind of opens up once our society kind of opens back up a bit we're going to do something um whether it's just a, a premiere or a um a, a live showing at, at different theaters we're gonna we'll do something for sure but for now this is this is what we get yeah well you know obviously everybody's at home with a lot of free time so they'll be on the streaming sites and hopefully viewing it which will be obviously beneficial to you and as you say i mean there's there's so much history there that something has to happen when it's when it's allowed 
to happen and uh, i look forward to seeing the photos yeah, from the other side sure. of the pond and congratulations mate and an amazing work not just on the film but on all the games and you know just the the long-lasting legacy that we've discussed obviously over the last hour there's so many beautiful strands to the uh, the rich multi-layered tony hawk story um i wonder if you wouldn't mind before i let you go finishing on the the whole 900 tale and how that sort of you know came about around the same time as the release of the first game it obviously wasn't planned it wasn't intentional it was just this beautiful coincidence that really you know set the balls in motion i wonder if you wouldn't mind leaving us on that story of the uh you know the mythology of the 900 and how that helped launch the whole thing yeah yeah i mean so the game had been in development probably a year and a half at least before tony um before tony did the 900 and i remember it just from the standpoint of a fan watching it on TV at home and seeing him doing it and, and then thinking to myself, well, thankfully we had already started, we had already started development of the trick a little bit because we kind of were thinking, we, we were thinking about putting it in, but we knew that um, it wasn't something, I mean, this is sort of the, the, the realisticness of, of skateboarding. I, it wasn't something that Tony really wanted in unless he was going to do it. And so that was not slated to be his trick at all. He had two other special tricks. So, but, um, you know, it was fairly, it's a spinning trick. So it's not the most difficult from an animation standpoint, um, trick, you know, not, there's not a lot of body movements and stuff. It's more, we lock in a position and spin. So from that perspective, it wasn't that huge of a, a challenge from a development perspective. And we had, I think we had already started working on it. But um, I, I do know he he, had, he called Joel, and uh, who's the president of Neverstop, and asked him if he could, the next day, to ask him if he could put it in. And Joel's like, we're already on it, which we were. And, uh, and yeah, and so he got in. And the, the huge thing with that was not just, that night and and the the trick landing that night and it the huge thing was the overflow of press that he got over the next i don't know six to eight months that completely coincided with our launch you know and, and every, everything in our launch so he's going on all these talk shows and lining up perfectly with our you know the launch of our video game so it was, you know, the, the stars really aligned perfectly. You know, it's, um, the demo had already come out. People were already kind of clamoring for it. Then he goes out and lands this, this 900. And, uh, yeah, it, it was, it was just, it was surreal. And it, it kind of, when I, when I saw it, when I was watching it, I knew that it was going to happen. I mean, you saw the look on his face after the 11th try or whatever they did. <laughs> and you kind of knew, okay, he's going to do this. You know, it's going to happen. This is going to be a huge moment in skateboarding. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and it did. And it, and it definitely, it helped the video game just all, because every time Tony Hawk, there was a Tony Hawk pro skater, Tony Hawk, Tony Hawk pro skater. So that name just, it launched in, into the stratosphere. His Q score was like through the roof. Too perfect, isn't it? Too perfect. Ralph, thank you yep. for all the memories. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was perfect. And congratulations yep. on uh, thank just you. a great body of work, my friend. And all the best with everything going forward. And uh, yeah, everybody can check out the film as of today. Is it available on the UK streaming sites as of right now as well? Is it worldwide released today? I believe so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I believe so. Um, you know, the best best thing to do is check our website or our uh, social media. We update everything where where things are all the time. So, yeah, it's a, that's kind of the best way to, to go about it. Love it. Thanks for your time, mate. I hope you have a great day. What are you up to today, personally, yeah. to celebrate? Do you have any personal plans? Anything nice? You know, I might go from I might do like a bar a, a, a bar crawl and go from my living room to the <laughs> dining room and just put a bar put a bottle in each room and then <laughs> then to the kitchen I'll have like tequila and then the office I'll have a bottle of vodka so I might do a bar crawl with we'll you. Amazing! You just need a skater's face on each bottle in each room so you're unlocking levels as you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice one, yeah. Ralph. I've really enjoyed chatting to you, mate. All right, well, Thanks a lot. Yeah, appreciate the time. Thanks for having me.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.